touch with your creator with a bacon love and chew she even speaks hebrew what's that got to do All right, we are back, and I'm back with my good friend, Kevin Queen. Hello, Kevin. Welcome back. Hey, Leanne. Good to be back. Yes. Thanks for having me back on. Yes. Well, last episode was a powerhouse, and I think, you know, one of the things that's really helpful and was helpful for me is, you know, meeting myself in my doubt, right? Because when we talk about this idea of believing in what you can't yet see or smell or taste or touch, you know, that's part of what faith is. And, you know, sometimes we have to meet ourselves in our doubt to bring ourselves over to a new sense of certainty or really dipping our toes into the next level of what we want to try on. So one of the things, the big things that kept coming up for me were, and, and I talk about this in the work that I do with with my clients, is we have these beliefs, you know, and it's really just thoughts that we think over and over again, and then they become beliefs, they become a download of what we perceive to be true about ourselves. And then we live in these beliefs and we think that they're true or we think that they're real because they feel real. And then they become part of our identity. They become part of our self-image and they turn into those I am statements like, Mm -hmm. oh, I am this way or this is just what I do. This is just who I am. And I think some of the beliefs that I had to really just come to head with and, and really just unveil, so to speak, so I could reveal them and not have them really kind of sabotage what I was thinking and doing and saying needed to be brought to light for me to even see that they were kind of keeping me far from God and keeping me from thinking that I was worthy of having this relationship with God. So some of the ones that came up for me, some of the ones that um, my clients have shared with me have come up for them when they're entering into the spiritual conversation. And I'd love to just get your take on them here what you say here, what scripture says, because I think part of it too is it's easy for us to recognize when something's not true or that it can't be true, but then what is the new truth? What actually resonates with us, you know? And it's a big departure to be like, oh, I'm so broken, I'm awful, to no, I'm so lovable. It's not a jump like that, it can't be. We've gotta meet ourselves in our doubt. So before we dive in, I'd love to hear like, just what are your thoughts about the beliefs that come up for us and that we download and walk around with and just kind of share share your take on that? Yeah, I think that so much of our battlefield is in our mind, right? And there's a movie called The Usual Suspects and at the end of Usual Suspects, it's talking about one of the greatest tricks that, the, that Satan ever used was uh, convincing people that he doesn't exist, yeah. you know? But I think one of the, one of the evidences of, gosh, of the way that the enemy, that Satan works. And Jesus said, you know, he said Satan is like a, like a lion who prowls around looking for who he would devour. He, he said, I've come, I've come to have abundant life. He said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the ways that he steals our joy and that he, he kills our hope and that he destroys like life to the full are with these, um, what I would call like defeatist beliefs, you know, and these, these, which truly are lies. He's the father of lies. That's another way that Jesus talks about him. And, and he's, he's a counterfeiter, you know? And so like, really they call him the father. You're a father of things you create. The only thing that Satan ever created was lies. Mm. And so, so many of us, and it's so easy to get entangled in 
and lies that have been informed maybe from our from our past and maybe aren't part of that new truth. So what I'd love to do, I mean, is we kind of talk, maybe talk through some of those lies or some of those thoughts and how do we replace those lies with truth and maybe the way we get to some truth. You, you said something last episode, you talked about putting on a new story. And so what if we put on some new stories and, and look at some stories of how Jesus um, interacted with people in the Gospels? Mm. And what I hope people understand is that God is not a favorite of persons, all right? So he loves everybody. We're all, we've all been created in the image of God. He loves everybody the same. And it's his will that all, it's his desire that all would come to know him. And so maybe what we can do is see ourselves as some of these people in the yeah. in the Gospels and to see the way the disciples were like, Jesus, if you show us the Father, we'll believe. And he's like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, if you want to know what God looks like, look at me. Mm-hmm. And so let's let's find truth. Like Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. Let's find truth by looking at Jesus and the way that he treats people, you know, and the way that he interacts with people who maybe would have believed some of these lies. Is that cool? So, so okay. I think that's a beautiful framework. So let's just dive right in. You know, one, this is a big one, but you know, the first belief or lie that comes up and keeps people far from God or keeps them from having a relationship is I'm too broken or I'm too far gone. Yeah. What do you say about that one? You know, I think that for me, that resonates for when I was arrested at 16, like being in the back of a police car. And I think about like in that moment, I'm like, man, I had lived this double life for so long, but there was the moment where I was like, okay, am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to go ride in the back of police cars so I could walk in the future? But this, this, the lie in that moment was I'm too far gone, like that I can't come back from this moment, that this is going to be my history, you know, forever. And I think we've probably all had moments like that where a lie like that comes in. I think about this one guy, his name was um, Legion and he lived on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is like a region called the Decapolis. And it said that he lived in the tombs and he had chains that had been broken and he cut himself with rocks. So here's this guy who is just tormented either from things that have happened to him or things that has passed. Jesus takes the disciples and they go on a boat ride to the Decapolis to the other side. They get over there and it says this man runs at Jesus. So think about it. Like you're one of the Talmudim, you're one of the disciples. You're like, this is it. Like this is how the Messiah goes down. Like some <laughs> crazy, and it said the man was naked. Some crazy naked man running at the Messiah, like to take him. He's got kind of He's living among the tombs. It's like this man is too far gone in their perspective. Jesus has a conversation. He comes to me, falls at Jesus' feet. Jesus heals him. Next thing we know, the man is like, dressed and in his right mind the townspeople are coming out going what has happened the man pleads with jesus and he's like let me go with you and jesus said no go home and tell your story i go tell your family he sends him back to his family i love that story because if anybody was too far gone it was this man who people knew as legions you know this man who was living among the tombs like and jesus goes to the i believe jesus went to the other side of the sea of galilee the lake right they went to the other side of the lake for this one man just to, so that we would have a picture to go, nobody's too far gone, you know, and that that's how he meets us in that place. If we just if we come to him, that he can bring us freedom and he can reveal to us who we truly are. And then he sends us back, you know, back into life to be, to live out that new identity in yeah. him. So. Absolutely. And I remember when I first started, again, learning about this guy called Jesus, you know, I would hear him like, yeah, he 
he hung out with murderers and adulterers and, you know, thieves and all these things. And it's not that he was condoning it, right? right. So I think part of this idea of, of healing really and coming and coming home to yourself and going home mm-hmm. is is really acknowledging, hey, yes, I have shame, but this isn't who I want to be any longer and right. really renewing and, and committing to that transformation. It's not this like, oh, I have Jesus. It's a get out of jail free card to, to just keep sinning and keep shame and, you know, keep doing the thing that's causing shame. Right. There's obviously an element of, you know, restoration and renewal, yeah. but don't disqualify yourself from being, being worthy of, of that yeah. because of your shame. And maybe what we do is draw a distinction between guilt and shame. Yes. So Thank guilt you. says, I've done a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know, shame says I am a bad person. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's the toxic shame piece. And so I think, you know, we talked about like the way Satan works here. One of the things that just made, that makes me like when I think back about like temptation. So temptation, we might be tempted to, to do a certain thing. Like let's say the temptation to lie, to not tell the truth. And so we get in a situation, maybe you get in a situation at work and like, do I tell the truth or do I lie? If I lie, I get out of it. And so we were like, nah, I don't need to lie. But then we, can we just tell the lie? And the temptation before is, hey, if you tell this lie, nobody's going to know. Everything's going to be easier. You're going to get through this. Not a big deal. But then the moment you tell the lie and then the shame comes in, you're a liar. You're a loser. Everybody's going to know. The way that things shift in that moment, for me, that's more of an apologetic mm-hmm. or an understanding of like that evil and that Satan and that lies and temptation like is really goes back to there is this there is this force at play to pull us away from who we're created to be you know and and so the way that lies work that shame that comes after that moment that says you're a bad person at first it was just do a thing and then it became a part well this is part of your identity and I'm just like that's that's just the way that that Satan works is evidence of that the father of lies Absolutely. Like what you did is not who you are and where you are is not who you are and your circumstances are not who you are. And I think we confuse the two and we take what we did and we identify as the the thing. And right. that's what turns into toxic shame. And when it doesn't get acknowledged and shine a light on and then, of course, the secrecy that usually comes alongside shame, it just festers and then builds on layer on top of layer. So, yeah, that's such an important distinction. And it's interesting. The second belief and, or lie that I was going to talk about is that my shame is different or worse than others. Yeah. So I think we talked about this a little bit last time where we kind of categorize our shame, you know, and again, just talking about, you know, Jesus hung out with, not condoning, but, you know, murderers, adulterers, you know, all the things and, I, I you know, all the things that you hear about that come up in in your church community, whether, you know, you have men that are addicted to porn or sex, or women too, I'm sure, you know. I know I deal with a lot of women that have, you know, they feel addicted to sugar and food, whether it is, you know, adultery, drugs, crime, whatever it is, you know, and there's testimony after testimony of testimony of, you know, becoming a new creation. But what do you say about if somebody has a belief of like, no, you don't understand, like that shame is fine. Like that can be forgiven, but my shame, no. What do you say about if somebody has a belief of like, no, you don't understand, like that shame is fine. Like that can be forgiven, but my shame, no. So I think the in, the enemy's strategy are secrets and isolation, mm-hmm. you know, and then 
you probably heard it said, like, we're only as sick as our secrets. So in the scriptures, it talks about confess your sin to one another and you'll be healed. You probably heard it said, like, that we're only as sick as our secrets. And if we confess our sins to one another, like, there's healing that healing that takes place. And so I just encourage, like, if maybe there's a intrusive thought or maybe there's a struggle, to be able to say that to somebody else because then we realize, we realize I'm not alone. And there are other people who are with us as well. You know, I think about, like, talking about story and narrative and putting a story on. There was a time where Jesus, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, brought a woman who was caught in adultery to Jesus. And they wanted to shame her. Actually, they wanted to, they wanted to kill her because, you know, according to the law, that was what adultery would lead to, led to, led to death. Jesus is sitting there. They bring this woman up. And it's interesting. He starts drawing in the sand. And we don't know what he was drawing, but he starts drawing in the sand. And then he tells them, he says, hey, let whichever one of you is without sin, let them cast the first stone. Now, what happens next is that all of the religious leaders, they start dropping those stones and then they, they leave. And it's the woman who's standing there with Jesus. Jesus said, where are your accusers? He said, well, I don't condemn you either. He said, no, go and sin no more. And... He is the only one who was without sin. Yeah. But he didn't pick up a stone. Because he would take, he would become the sacrifice for our sin, for her sin, for all of us. I think the reason that he drew in the sand is to draw the attention off of her nakedness, off of what she would have felt in that moment um, with shame, to draw the attention off of her and to draw the attention, because when somebody's writing in the sand, everybody wants to know what are they writing. Mm-hmm. And maybe he wrote the names of people who in that group, in that group, who were you know committed the same sin, right? right, right. But but you just see the, the the beauty of Jesus as a as a rabbi, and his you know his his willingness to to remove shame, to take shame off of other people, and then to be able to set her free and to go, I don't condemn you either. Just go go and live. And I think every time we fail, we can come to him and because he's not a favor of persons. He loves us all the same. He loves us like he does that that woman. We bring our shame to him and he loves the shame off of us. Wow. He loves the shame off of us. Gosh, that's so powerful. And I think it also brings up the point that it's so important to to find people that you feel safe sharing. Yeah. With because, you know, that's part of it. It's like people that have so much toxic shame, they don't want to share because they don't feel safe because they feel like they're being judged. And one of the reasons, you know, over the years in in the work that I do, I've led with my own shame of like, here here's mine, right? Because it, it, it enables people to, to be safe to share their own and know that they're not going to be judged. And I think that, you know, different, there's different elements for different people that they need to feel that safety. But I think part of it is for, for me, at least it was when I met people that knew Jesus and knew the love of Jesus. It's almost like my shame and my sin didn't matter Mm -hmm. because the, the love was there and the acceptance was there. And it almost like tore down the walls of secrecy because there was this element of safety. And so I think, you know, surrounding yourself, if, I mean, we all have them too. We know those people in our lives were like, we're not safe to be who, yeah. who we really are. They're going to judge us. Right. And that's okay. You don't have to go audit all of your friends, but you know who people are and know who people are in your life and really seek out that safety for yourself, psychological safety, almost to be able to be who you are and get that help. Because the first step 
to acknowledging that you have a problem is is first and foremost acknowledging yourself, but feeling able to to voice it and get mm-hmm. that support and be heard and have it received. Yeah, I think all of us have a sense of intuition, but like spidey sense, right? I mean, yeah. we we can tell when somebody's safe or when they're not. And if that's been damaged, either because of trauma or because of what's happened in the past, I'm like, you can start with a counselor. But the moment then you share it to somebody, it's no longer a secret. Absolutely. You know, and so I think. I think go to a professional. I think you would start you know, when we talk about you know pastor pastors by by law confidentiality is is required. But I'm say if if you don't feel there if you don't feel safe there go to a counselor. I think looking at friends. I, I mean I think it's like trusting them with a little bit at a time. You know, and I think sure. learning over time who you can trust and the in those um in those deeper ways it just really is a really is a gift. It, it halves our sorrows and it doubles our joys, you know, okay. to have a friend like that. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So coming to the next belief, which, um, or lie, we should say is I've been this way for far too long. Mm-hmm. So it's another way of saying like, I'm far too gone. But like, again, when we look at our historically, how, who we've been and how we've shown up and we think like, no, you don't understand. I've been this way my entire life. You're telling me that there is hope. Yeah. What would you say to that? So when Jesus was on the cross, there were two people. There was one on his left, one on his right, and uh, and he one was a murderer, one was a thief. And he goes to Jesus. He's like, one curses him, and the other says, "Will you remember me? You know, today will you?" And so I'm like, okay, that guy had been there, been that way his entire life, and here he was coming to the end of his life, and Jesus tells him, "Surely today, like you'll be with me." Like the moment at the end of his life, like that, he's on his deathbed. And he puts his faith and his trust and Jesus brings him a word of peace and just like, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of you. So I'm like, I don't know of another picture in scripture of somebody where their entire life. And even if it is to that moment to know that, that coming home. So I would say at any point we come home. And, and I think, you know, when I think of people that I know in, in my life, I think about you, my grandfather, who was 86 years old and he lived a certain kind of way and it was that I mean, we still have the chair that he was sitting in. I mean, he, he passed away years ago, but we still held on to the chair where he put his faith and trust, and he finally knew forgiveness. Mm. And um, and so to receive forgiveness from God, and so he received that forgiveness from God in that chair, and I think at that moment he was able to forgive himself. You know? And that so that chair is a picture that that no matter how long you've been in that place, that transformation is always possible and i saw it in his life absolutely and you know what just came to mind for me too is like this idea of you know for for my own versions of i've been this way for far too long one thing that i can look back and say well i never addressed it like it was a spiritual struggle Mm -hmm. you know so it's like well what are you what have you done i know a lot of women i talk to they're like oh i've done therapy i've done this and that and like, well, have you ever, in the case of, you know, their relationship with food in their bodies, have you ever taken like a brain-based approach? And then if people do have a spiritual life, I'm like, have you ever taken a spiritual approach to this? So yeah. part of it too is like, you know, what have you been doing to address, you know, the thing that you've been air quotes doing for as long as you can remember? And have you ever given it over to God yeah. and surrendered it and, you know, released, relinquished these chains of control, which are just, they're such a, a facade in yeah. a way, you yeah. know? And I think that's one of the lies, one of the lies is that I knew for me in struggles and things that I've had in my past, I knew for me there was, there was one struggle where I thought I'll always remember the last time. And I was like, I'll know that I have breakthrough when I can't remember the last time. Okay. And for that particular struggle, like, I can't remember the last time. Yeah. 
you know, and so I, I have evidence in my life that, you know, the lie was I'll always be able to remember if I can't now. So I think that's, and if that can happen with me, like yeah. that can happen with anybody, you know? And, uh, and so I think getting around some other people who have experienced the breakthrough and the transfer, and then there's hope mm-hmm. and yeah. then having conversation about like, well, how, how has that been true? You know, for you, how has that, and I think that's one of the gifts of AA. Yeah. Getting in a community with some people, having a conversation about our vulnerability in that place of surrender where we're not in surrender by ourselves. Right. We're in community with others. So. Yeah. And you're almost borrowing other people's faith and borrowing other people's beliefs, yeah. you know, until you build your own. That's right. You know, so I love that. Okay, this is a big one, I'm sure. The God is mad at me lie. You know, they feel like maybe they've disappointed him. Again, there's that toxic shame. God is mad at me. Talk to us about that lie. Yeah, I think if if your God is mad at you, you might have the wrong one. Mm, amen. Yeah, like, Can you say more about that? Yeah, I mean, I think where Jesus will go back, where he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The only time we really see Jesus mad, well, there were a couple times, but they were. it was like in the temple, where he's flipping over tables. And the reason that he did that is because the the religious leaders, they had, well, I mean, they're, they're people who had set up these um, these tables to try to, to try to take advantage of Gentiles who were trying to get in and offer their sacrifice. And so they were like upcharging them and they were, um, they were just trying to take advantage. And so they had turned the court of Gentiles, the place where those Gentiles would worship into a marketplace. And so Jesus turns over those tables and he's like, my father's house is a house of prayer because that would have been the place where, where the Gentiles would have come in and been able to pray. And I think that's, that's what makes Jesus mad is when people create other barriers for other people to encounter the heart of God, you know? Yeah. So does Jesus get mad? Yeah but it's not with people because they admit their own brokenness and because of their sin and because they're, and when that, that mad thing, it was because there were barriers. And so I think what we see in Jesus, he, he's tearing down every barrier and his heart is a heart of unconditional love for people to, to draw near. And so if you feel like God is, is mad, you know, at you, um, I said, you might have the wrong one, mm. you know, because his heart is full of love and in pursuit. He just wants you to come home. It's just, he, he wants you to come home to, come to him. Uh, and I think the enemy wants us to believe that so that we'll stay far off. Absolutely. And just we think, well, I got to work and like act a certain way so that then God likes you. He likes you right now. And he's in a really good mood toward you. No, yeah, we just we just asked him. He's, 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 right. he's in a really, really yeah. good good mood, and that's what it means to be loved mm-hmm. unconditionally. But so many of us have never known, you know, love like that. Absolutely, yeah. And that's where I would say try on a new story. Mm-hmm. Like you see, you've got the wrong God. It's like, yeah, that's not the God I know. Yeah. The God I know would just be so happy yeah. that you're showing up now. Like I said, the God that I do, he didn't care that it was a rabbi or a pastor. It happened to be a pastor. It didn't care that it was a church or a temple. It happened to be a church. He was just glad that at 35 years old, that was five years ago, yeah. I just said, yes, I, I want to know you. Yeah. You know, and if he got mad in the scriptures, it was because people were putting up barriers so that people could know that he's not mad. Yeah. 
phrase. I really like it. Right. I mean, he was he was wanting people to know that so much that he was tearing those things into that kind of religion that would cause people to think that like that's the thing that grieves his heart. Absolutely. And that's actually a perfect segue into the next lie or belief is, you know, a lot of people, they grew up in a certain type of, you know, religion or, you know, the good, bad, right, wrong, should, shouldn't kind of mentality, the shame driven kind of mentality. So this idea of like, no, you know, the whole God conversation, like, I don't really want that. I grew up around it and I saw what it did to my mom or my dad. And I just, I don't like it. So what would you say to that? It might even just be a continuation of that last conversation. I think going back, I think this is so powerful from your story of like just going back to the gospels, going back to the historical Jesus, going back to those narrative accounts and just asking, God, if you're real, Jesus, if you're real, would you reveal who you really are to me? Because there are are people who get Jesus wrong. Like there are people who have taken the Christ in scripture and have misconstrued who he is. So asking, asking him, reveal who you really are to me. And I think there's a personal encounter and get around, get around people, get around some people who, like I said, you, you know, look for the authentic, authentic Christ. If you get around a, a faith group that doesn't talk about, like that say they're Christian, but they never talk about Jesus. They never use the word. Yeah. And be, be concerned, you know, right. like we want to go back to who is the historical Jesus and be on that process of, of, of having a relationship with him, not rules. He's about the heart. He's after yeah. the heart. So. Absolutely. And I think how many times if, as humans, I know for myself, I've met somebody and I've totally prejudged them mm-hmm. or made up a story about who they are. And then once I get to know them, I'm like, wow, that is not who I thought them to be. And they're amazing. Or, or you know, sometimes it's the opposite, but, you know, but in this case, I'm like, try on this story that you don't know, like you, you haven't met the, the God that you think you met, if you think that he's mad at you, you're far gone, right. that it's this, you know, again, you have to earn it. There's the shame driven, whatever upbringing you had. And also I want to invite you into like, you are allowed to choose who you want to be today yeah. as an adult. Like yeah. it doesn't have to be, you know, you're always going to be influenced by what you're influenced by. But like, again, what if you started choosing what you want to be influenced by in this conversation? And, and again, wipe the slate clean, give yourself permission you know, this is coming from me. I I was not guided or led in a spirituality or even a religious based conversation growing up. And it's something that you can choose at any time, any age. That's right. Yeah, that's good. Right where you're at. Let's actually talk about these last two, which Great. and we can kind of put them together because I think they go hand in hand. But one is, you know, what would my family think if I just started trying on this God conversation now? So again, maybe you have your you're Jewish, you're Catholic, Hindu, atheist, whatever it is. But then also, like, what would my friends think? So maybe you're used to hanging around people and, like, the this, this central part of your connection is drinking or gossiping or, you know, I know with a lot of my clients, it's like, you know, talking about our weight, and, you know, and talking about that kind of things or shaming ourselves, right? Um, being frivolous with money because that can be contagious, right? Yeah. Um, having idols, right? Fill in the blank, chasing whatever, chasing relationships, you know, cars, money, whatever, you know, so when your influence is not really aligned with, who, with the direction that you're going in um, and the, the belief or the lie is like, oh, my gosh, what would my family think? They're going to they're going to judge me. They're not going to approve. What would my friends think? They're going to judge me. They're not going to approve. Yeah. What would you say to that? Yeah. I mean, I think we're we're wired and we're created a certain way where we we want other people's like we want other people's approval. Yeah. We can live our lives based on the fear of man, which is a prison to live in. And so we can go around thinking, man, I, 
I need I need everybody's approval for everything that I that I do. And that is like it's just it's a miserable way to live. And um and so I think we can be grateful for our families of origin. There are a lot of things we can be grateful for and not necessarily be controlled by them. Yeah. And there is an influence in our life, but I think to start at that place of gratitude and be grateful for our families and be grateful for friends, but be in that pursuit of truth. Mm-hmm. And when we look at Jesus' life, like his family like thought he was crazy. <laughs> like, I mean, there was a moment where where they were standing outside the house and they're trying to they're trying to talk him out of fulfilling his mission and doing the thing that but then at the end we see Mary when he's on the cross. You remember Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and one of his primary sources, you know, for the story of Jesus' life was Mary. And James was one of his brothers that didn't believe. And Paul says, This is one of the evidences of the resurrection, is because James, who was this brother of Jesus who thought he was crazy, who didn't believe, but then saw him when he was resurrected and then becomes a leader, ultimately is is killed as a, as one of the church leaders in Jerusalem. And he found Jesus after the resurrection, after he saw Jesus raised from the dead, he's like, he's worth giving. He's not just my brother, Jesus. He's, can you imagine having a brother be the Messiah, right? I mean, you know, but like, I mean, I know what feeling compared to my brother, you know, and my sister, like having a brother that's perfect, you know, and, and James thought he was crazy as when Jesus was, and then he sees the resurrected Christ and he's like, no, he was who he says he was. He is who he says he is. And then he lays his life down for it. And so you look at this, you look at the story like Jesus knew what it was like. Hebrews talks about he has known every, like he's known every struggle. He can empathize with us in our weakness. Like we have this high priest who has gone, but he used that phrase like this. We have one who has gone before us and he lived life perfectly. He's endured. He knows what it's like to be rejected by family and yet fulfill the call that he's. None of us can fulfill the call that God has for us or the mission or the purpose that he has for us in life and have, you know, our earthly parents mm-hmm. approval or have our friends approve of us, all that. That's a very, it's a very small mm-hmm. life. There were people who didn't want us to move up to Nashville to pastor at this. We just knew it was what God was calling us to, calling us to do. And so I think it, at some point you have to make a decision. Am I going to live to to please people? Or am I going to live to please God? And whatever whatever that means. And Jesus said it this way. He said, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Yeah. And so that deny, deny self, yeah. take up a cross. There is a suffering. There is sacrifice. There's, yes, but that's, he says, if you, if you, when you lose your life, that's when you really find it. Mm-hmm. Like when you surrender, just like we talked about last Surrendered, living with open hand. Um, that's right, and it's it's hard. It is it's hard, but it's. Remember when I was over in um, I was over in talking with a man. He was Muslim background, and he had come to faith in Jesus. I had a friend who said he was a Jewish friend. He said the only way that that Jews and Muslims come together is Jesus. Like that's it. That's the only way. Like there was, and it was in you know it was in. Palestinian territory when I met this. Jesus or falafel. Jesus or falafel. Yeah, those two things he got together. But this man was telling me, you know, I was over in Palestinian territory and he, um, this man was in, it was, he was in hiding and he was like, his parents had put out a hit on his life because he had found Jesus. 
and it became he, he went on Facebook and he went on Facebook and he he looked for a Christian on Facebook, found a woman in Michigan who had the Christian under <laughs> started a conversation with her and ends up coming to coming to faith. And he was in hiding when I met him. And I was just like, man, what it cost him, like what it cost him to put faith in Jesus. But when I when I would look at him and I could look in his eyes, I still I kept on to he had some he had some tea and there was some sage in the in the tea and I kept it was some kind of I kept I don't have no idea but I kept it as a memory of that conversation because I'm like here's a man who knows what it is to to sacrifice to lay down for what matters most but you could see in his eye he was he was free he was free of that fear of man you know and truly found himself in that and uh and so I just think how how wild it is for us to be sitting here right now talking about <laughs> that man in that conversation but just going there's a there's a freedom that comes a freedom from the fear of man which for so many people controls them their entire life Absolutely. but it's through that surrender that we truly find our lives yeah. and you know when your identity is rooted in the opinions of other people or your perception of what other people think or you know even the air quotes authority in your life whatever your authority is and you know when you have when you give so much weight to that authority, it by default, your certainty in who you are is going to be kind of, you know, frail or weakened. And but what I've discovered is like as your certainty gets filled in and as you create more authority and in, in the knowingness of who you are, it's not that other people's opinions don't matter. They'll always matter, but they don't make a difference in how you choose to show up. And I think that's part of what happens when you get your identity rooted in something so much deeper and so much bigger than and I'm not I'm discounting the weight of how we, you know, we, we definitely care about what our family thinks and all of that. Right. I mean, it, I, I shared about it in one of the first episodes about how I, I called my parents and I was like, listen, I do care what you think. But I'm also I'm a Christian, you yeah. know, and I'm Jewish, you yeah. know, and it took me a while. So I think part of it is like giving yourself that space to, to keep it sacred until you know what it is and then share. But the, again, build that certainty, build your own sense of authority and who you are and the knowingness. And it's not going to be so scary. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, there, I mean, there are so many beliefs and lies that we could go through and yeah. maybe this will become a series, but thank you so much for sharing. Um, just anything in terms of this idea of you know, meeting people in their current beliefs of like, I can't have a relationship with God, or maybe it's the worldly views or the unbiblical beliefs, keeping them from having this relationship with God and carrying around this toxic shame. Um, obviously, we shared new truths and new beliefs. And obviously, our invitation is just to try this on and try on this new possibility. But just to kind of put a wrapper on it, what would you what, what would you want to leave everybody with? Uh, I'll just tell you what I do. Um, I've got this uh, shortcut on my keyboard on my computer. Uh, I journal in Evernote every day, and I, I 10 D D C, and I don't know why. It, but when I push in 10 D C, it's 10 declarative statements that just pop up, and I've written out these statements that tell me, you know, who I am, and I need those reminders every single day, and so. Um, I don't do it every single day. I do it when I need that reorientation. When I need that reminder, I do it a lot of days because mm -hmm. I need that a lot of days. So I don't think wherever we're at on the journey, we need that reminder, that recalibration for the soul. Mm -hmm. So some of mine are like, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I just remind, I'm a man of integrity. I love my wife. I'll exhaust myself, you know, to love her, serve her, care for her. I remind myself I'm a 
I'm a father who loves my children, and I'm going to lead them to truth and to wisdom and lead by grace, you know. Yeah, I write things down um, or just it's a shortcut, so I write it down. Really. But I just read through them. And so I think so many of us, we have this, this background noise telling us a different story. And uh, I think it's super helpful to go ahead and write, write out who you are and who God has called you to be, who he's made you to be, um, so that you can return to that place, you know, every single day the best way to combat lies is with truth mm. and so i think to be intentional with the truth write out those 10 declarative statements write out the truth so that we can be transformed so that we can be made new by the by the renewing of our mind yeah i know that for me one of the prayers i prayed when i first started just kind of unpeeling back these lies and i wrote it down actually is god i don't know you but i want to know you and i'm here was the first thing i kept repeating that over and over again but it was because part of it, too, is like just acknowledging that we have these lies or these untruths. And now it's like, OK, show me what to believe. It's almost like this open ended dot, dot, dot conversation. Right. So I know I was just always like, you know, give me the eyes to see what I'm not seeing and give me the wisdom to understand what I'm not understanding and give me faith to believe what I'm not yet believing. Because, again, the faith thing was a big step for me. And then show me who I really am, yes. like not who I'm trying to hustle to be. Show me how you see me and give me new visions of who I am and who I can continue to grow into and plant new seeds in my heart. Because for me, when I recognizing the untruths or the lies yeah. was step one, but coming up with new truths, it took some time. And yeah. so that was part of the pray, like the type of prayers I would ask is just like, God, I'm not sure what my new beliefs are yet, but like, I feel like you'll help, you'll show them to me. Yeah. So just keep, you know, working on me mm. and just keep showing up, you know? So that's also like an interim step if you're not sure, like, because I know the declarative statements that you have, I was listening to them and I'm like, I think I want to put some of those yeah. in my vows or have my, my Charles put them in his vows, you know? Yeah. No, just kidding. But that being said, it's like to get to those declarative statements, I can only imagine how much heart soul went into that for you, yeah. the knowingness of who you are, <laughs> you know? And so that's the kind of thing where if you're listening to this and you're like, I want those, like, just pray for them. Yeah. He'll, he'll reveal. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I think pray for him. And then I think that's one of the gifts of, of scripture. It's like, we don't have to wonder what, what God thinks. Yeah. He's already revealed. Like, and so I think to go to, go to scripture and just even open up and say, God, would you reveal to me who you are? Would you reveal to me who I am? And just take note and take notes. It's good, Leanne. Oh, so good. Well, thank you so much for being here. Just set the tone. You guys are going to be hearing more from Kevin and his amazing wife, Ree. Thank you so much for being here and we'll sign off for now. Good. Bye. We will be back with more What's God Got to Do With It. But in the meantime, I would love to hear from you. So just tell me where you are in your own story or maybe what questions you have. You know, where do you feel like you need more clarity or wisdom or direction in your own journey? I definitely want to hear from you. So head on over to whatsgodgottodowithit.com and scroll down to the form to share your thoughts, questions, or feedback instantly. That's what's God got to do with it.com. And if you like this podcast and want to hear more, follow, like, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to get your weekly dose of what's God got to do with it. New episodes drop every Tuesday. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review to show your support. It really means so much. What's God Got to Do With It is an iHeartRadio podcast on the Amy Brown Podcast Network. It's written and hosted by me, Leanne Ellington, executive produced by Elizabeth Fazio, 
Post-production and editing by Houston Tilly. And original music written by Cheryl Stark and produced by Adam Stark. Mm-hmm.